Next is my favorite part, and the reason why Pastor, Tim, or Pastor Tom asked me was I get to embarrass Pastor Tim. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm gonna t- okay, when I don't get to be around this guy, I miss him all the time. I just, that's what I'm saying. He's like my, my big brother, you know, this and that. But I also love, love every opportunity to make fun of him, to do all the things that a little brother does. So with that being said, though, Pastor Tim Gilio. Uh, he has a word to deliver for us this morning, and I believe that God uh, has anointed him, has called him to do great things. And I get to be not his, not his, not, not the number one cheerleader because that's his wife's spot, but I get to be one of the top. I'm just saying. Fashion Tim, come on. <laughs> come on. How you guys doing? Bunch of men in the house. You know, uh, I'm just going to take a quick second. I'm partial to men's ministry. I love uh, being able to work with Pastor Tom, being a part of what God is doing here. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I truly believe that men's ministry holds a very high uh, place in the church. And I believe that as men, as we get fired up for God, it's going to change our worlds, right? That's what we're all about. That's what, that's what men's ministry is here. Men's ministry isn't a place to come and get a good breakfast. I think all of us now realize, uh, realize that, you know, we're, we're, we're praying and fasting because we have to right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, but we're, <laughs> we're praying and fasting and we're believing for a return uh, of the breakfast and we are excited for that, but that's not why we're here. We're here for something greater than that. This, this morning, I'm excited for the opportunity to share. As I was preparing, though, uh, yesterday, I was, I was kind of going through my message and getting things ready, and I felt like a verse kind of dropped in my heart, and I feel like this is for at least one or two people uh, here in this room. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking him he may devour. Uh, year, years ago, speaking in the youth, I talked about this particular verse. I don't know how many of you guys know this, but when, when lions go out hunting, they're not going out and chasing after a pack. They're going out looking for a way to isolate an individual. And I truly believe that part of what the devil's trying to do through this COVID thing is isolate people. We've even flipped the way we say, we used to say social distancing here as a church. We don't want to social distance. Uh, Ricky alluded to this. We don't want to be distanced socially. We want to maybe distance physically. But, but the enemy has taken and said, no, you got to isolate yourself in every way. And this is dangerous. So this is just for someone here this morning that has nothing to do with my message, but be careful not to get isolated in your walk with Christ. Because the devil, amen, the devil is trying to isolate men because just like a lion, when he could get a, a, a wildebeest or something like that on, on its own, he's got the, the lion has the advantage. And that's what the devil wants to do with you guys and wants to do with us and wants to do with the church. He wants to get us isolated so he can get us alone because when he can get us alone, he has a little bit more of an advantage to mess with us. So, uh, so first Peter says, be, be a sober spirit, be alert. It's like, watch out. This is the, the tactic of the enemy is to isolate so that he can get an advantage. And how many of you guys know if we know that that's the, the plan, we could stop that from happening. That's where when we're going through something, reach out to another man to say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. This is my prayer request. This is what I need right now. Surround yourselves with men. Even if you got to do it over Marco Polo or Zoom or through a text message or a phone call, surround yourselves with men. That was just a little extra. This morning, uh, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a message called My World, My Part. 
my world, my part. I believe that we all have a part to play in this, and we're going to dive into a chunk of scripture um, out of 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bible, open up to 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, we're going to start in verse 14. But we have a part to play, in, and it, it's kind of interesting when you look at this ver- these, these verses, uh, what it says is our part, because maybe it's a little different than kind of what we think. But let's go ahead. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip my Bible open, 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, starting in verse 14. <laughs> the first few words will blow your mind away. Check this out. It says, starting in verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us. How many of you guys know we could just sit right there, right? Especially in this season, the love of Christ. What's been controlling us? Like, this is something that I kind of could ask myself every day. Like, Tim, what's been controlling you today? Is it is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it uh, pressure from my boss? Is it uh, a family situation? What's been controlling us? But the Bible says right here, black and white, what should be controlling us is the love of Christ. This is, this is kind of what I thought about uh, for this morning is we have to be desperate for the love of Christ to control us. As men, and, and sometimes we look at, sometimes, you know, culture can look at this word love and put all these like fluffy things on it. No, this is like the passionate love of Christ. This is the, the moment when Jesus went into the temple and flipped the tables. It was love that was controlling him. He wasn't, he wasn't working out of anger. He was working out of a, a passionate love for his people saying, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And I think sometimes we need to get that same kind of tenacity inside of us that says, no, this isn't right. Like the fact that the devil's messing with the world right now through COVID, this is not right. We need to have a desperate, a desperate need for loves, for, for Christ's love. But sometimes we're trying to do it on our own. So I think what I want to do this morning is let's just let's just pause right here and let's pray and let's just ask the love of Christ to become the controlling factor in our life. Not all these other pressures, because I, I mean we're men, right? We've got we've got a lot of pressures going on. Whether, whether it's something that I've mentioned already or it's something different, we've got a lot of pressures going on. We've got a lot of things that are trying to hop behind the steering wheel of our life to drive us down the road. But we need to say, no, I'm going to let the love of Christ hop in the driver's seat and control me. So if you would, let's just bow our heads. Let's, let's go before God. Let's say, open up our hearts. Let's ask him to do what he wants to do. Jesus, we're here right now. And the number one cry of our heart, Lord, is that your love would control us. Father, if there's areas, and and Lord, it shouldn't be if, it's probably more. Father, in the areas where we've let other things control and drive our life, Father, we surrender those to you. Father, we repent right now. And we ask you, Christ, to hop in the driver's seat in every area of our life. We pray Psalms 139, Lord, where it says, Search us, O Lord, and know our hearts. Point out anything in us that could offend you, Lord, and lead us on the path of everlasting life. Father, the cry of our heart is as men that we would gather people around us and pull them closer to you. Father, we want to be men that at the end of our life, we look back and see devastation in the kingdom of hell because we brought people into your kingdom. So we ask you, Jesus, allow your love, your passionate, charismatic love, your tenacity for people to be the controlling thing in our lives. We surrender ourselves completely to you. Fathers, we dive into the rest of the scripture. We ask you, open up our hearts to you. Let us see more of you. Father, that's the, the cry of our heart right now. We thank you for this. We pray all this. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Come on. So 2 Corinthians verse 5, or 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us. Basically what we need to do is we need as men to keep ourselves in check. We need to keep ourselves submitted to God. Submit to God, resist the devil, submit to God, and the devil will flee, right? This is what we've got to do. We've got to live a life submitted to God. One thing that I always have thought fascinating, uh, I worked in youth ministry for a long time. Uh, one of the things I always like to ask, uh, ask kids especially is, what does Lord mean? Because a lot of times, especially when we grow up in the church, we look at this word Lord, we say, yeah, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, and we think Lord sometimes is like another name for God. When Lord isn't another name, Lord is another word for king. So what we need to do as men is we need to live our lives in full submission to Jesus as he is Lord. And what does that look like for us? That looks like us every day saying, Jesus, today, my day is for you. You'll hear that verse thrown around like, this is the day the Lord has made and I'm going to rejoice in it. And the reason that I can do that is because today is the day that God's placed me here and I'm going to choose to live it for him no matter what it looks like around me. So we've got to live our lives fully submitted to God. As, as men, we need to realize this. We need to have Jesus as Lord of our lives. We need to be firm in our, in our stance as who Christ is and walk by his leading. So let's continue this. I'm going to read that again. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that we who live might no longer live for, uh, for themselves, for they who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. If you're taking notes or if you're not taking notes, either way, write this down. My first point is this. We need to go from selfish to selfless. How many of you guys know that the world around us says it's all about me? I remember years ago, uh, there was a country singer, uh, and he wrote a song, and he said, you know, I want to talk about me when I talk about I, you know, number one, like, because the world says that what's most important is, is me. I looked this up. Do you realize there are 7.8 billion people in the world? That means there are 7.99999, all those nines, other billion people in the world that all think that it's about them as well, probably. It's, do you know that for, from my perspective, life is a lot less about me than I realize? We need to flip our mindset from being selfish to selfless. You look at the world around us, look at social media. Social media is all about me. It's about my perspective. It's about, you know, you, you got phones have cameras that face backwards, which is very interesting when you think about like the first person that probably thought about that, like, what? But it's, I'm going to take a selfie because it's about me. And I'm not saying any of us have that, but there, but there is a pull in the culture of this world today that says, make it about yourself. When Jesus was the opposite of that. My part is not to make it about me. My part's to make it about other people. We live in this crazy world, everything going on. We need to be focused on other people. Matthew 6, verses 21 through 23. Look at, look at Peter's perspective here. It says, from this time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and then, and then be killed, and then be raised on the third day. And it says, Peter, Peter took him aside. So imagine like... Imagine this for a second. You've got Jesus, right? 
And Jesus is telling everyone what's going to be happening. He's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer and die and be rose. And it says Peter took him aside. Like he didn't want to mention this in front of people. He's like, hey, hey, Jesus. And this is what it says. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. (laughs) Can we just pause for a second? Like he started to rebuke Jesus. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter had a selfish mindset. He said, I don't want that to happen to you because I see you in this specific way, so this is not going to happen. And then look at what, look at what Jesus says. Jesus, uh, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are, sub- you are, stumbling, you are a stumbling block for me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. So, G- so, so Jesus is like, Peter, stop having a perspective. Stop being selfish in this and realize what God is actually trying to do. Because, I mean, we know it now. Jesus went, died, rose again. And because of that, we're all sitting here today. But how often we can have a selfish perspective in our lives. It was less about Peter than he thought. It's kind of like, like, Jesus, I, 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 I will never deny you. Like Peter, Peter went to Jesus and said, I will never deny you. Peter was having a selfish perspective in his life. But every day, this is what we need to do. We need to choose to say, today, I'm going to serve Jesus with everything that I have. Today, it's about Jesus and not me. John said in John 3.30, John said, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. This is John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. This is the guy that everyone went to and said, are you the one? And John's like, no, I'm not the one. I'm not even qualified to to take off his sandals. And that guy said, I need to decrease and he needs to increase. We need to have we need to have this perspective in our life. Like when people look at when people look at me, I need to I need to say, who do people see? Do people see more of Tim or do they say more of Jesus in Tim? We need to have this mindset of not being selfish in this. We need to, to have a mindset of it's about other people and not me. Jesus is the ultimate example in this. In Matthew 20, verse 28, it says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We need to live our lives. It's not about me. It's about other people. I love uh, in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 37, a religious leader comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? I'm sure most of us could probably quote it. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? I, I tell it to my kids this way. Jesus says, love God, and the second is like it, love people. He has some cool, colorful text to it where it's like, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And love your neighbor as yourself, you know. But it's love God and love people. Love God is the greatest commandment. How do you do that? The second greatest one, which is love people. But best way to love God is to love people. It's this outward perspective saying life is less about me. I got to go from selfish to selfless, continually walking on that road. Because the world tries to put this on us as men, especially in saying, just focus on you for a second. It's okay. Just focus on you, you know, focus on your comfort, focus on your needs, focus on your desires. Less about me, more about others. Second Corinthians continues, starting in verse 16, it says, 
Therefore, now we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, I love this verse. This is like, this is one of my life verses. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if who's in Christ? Anybody. It doesn't matter where you're from, what's going on. Anyone who is in Christ. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creature. Man. Whew. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new have come. Do you know this, this word, new creature, this term? It, it's... Sometimes we think as Christians, we're like old beat up cars that have been shined up to look like we were when we first were created, right? Like my dad, when I was younger, he got a 72 Z28 Camaro and the thing was a rust bucket. My dad owned an automotive shop. He always had a desire. This was like one of his first cars that he had in this era. So he wanted, he found this thing in like a barn aisle somewhere. There were no fenders on it. You know what I mean? Uh, No engine. He brought this thing back, and, and he, he put blood and, and sweat and tears and effort and, into this thing. And, and I remember watching the process of what was he? He was restoring it to its original design, right? He was making it look like it once would. But this word, new creation, isn't like that car going from a rust bucket to looking beautiful. This word means, no, it's completely new. This has never existed before. So what God is saying is when we go and we surrender and we say, Jesus, I believe in you and I confess and I live my life for you and you're my Lord and my Savior. When we do that, it says we're transformed so much Pastor Duane would say it this way, we're transformed so much that we need to be introduced to ourselves. You know what I mean? It's not like the old car is made new again. It's like, hey, this is a brand new car that's never existed. So God says we don't recognize people according to the flesh. We knew Jesus that way once. We don't do it anymore. Therefore, anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creature. New creature, the old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. We, are, we need to be known by who we are in Christ because we're so new that we're transformed. Verse 18 goes on to say this, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. How many of you guys realize that our reconciliation to God does not come through our good deeds? Your ability to do good has nothing to do with your reconciliation to God. The reconciliation that you have to God comes by one way and one way only, and that's through what Jesus did on the cross. Romans 10, 9, therefore believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus died and rose again, and you will be saved. Go a couple of verses later, and it says, whosoever does this will be saved. It's this idea that I don't have to work to earn my salvation. This morning I was listening to a message, and I had to like stop it, pause it, and my mind was blown. And talk, This guy was talking about holiness, and he's... He said, holiness isn't something, I wish I had it like written down. Holiness isn't something to be, I'm trying to think of how he said it. Holiness isn't something that is, what is it? Perfected. Oh, thank you. I told it to Ricky. That's why I did. Holiness isn't something to be perfected in your life. It's something to be reflected through your life right? It's not about me trying to work to be holy so that I can 
have the right mindset and have the right thoughts and, and all this stuff. No, holiness is you when you're saved, right? Therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. You are made holy at the moment of salvation. Now, as men, we walk that out so that it's reflected through our lives. Because I don't know about you guys, I mess up. Probably more often than I should. But I choose to continue to walk with God saying, God, that's just an example of how I need to reflect holiness through my life more. Now all things, now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the thing. The first thing we have to realize is it's from living a selfish life life to a selfless life. The second thing we have to realize is God has given us something to do. He's called us to something. Listen to this. God uh, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God who is in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. This is also translated the ministry of reconciliation. Now God is calling us as men to begin to reconcile the world or the people of the world to him. So first we say it's not about being selfish, it's about being selfless. The second thing we have to do is we have to bring unity to a polarized culture. If you're taking notes, point number two is bringing unity to a polarized culture. We've got a, we've got a, We've got a mission here as men to say, you want to know what? The, the world is trying to divide itself. I can't tell you how many encounters I've had recently where it seems like Satan is working in the church to try to bring division because of whatever reason, whether you want to look at all the things going on with COVID and masks and distancing, or if you want to look at the, the racial tension going on, or if you want to look at financial stuff, or if it's, about, uh, if it's about dividing the church on political views, Satan is at work. Remember, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but God came to bring life. Satan's at work trying to divide the church. What did Jesus say? A house divided cannot stand. Man, churches are going to start falling if people don't begin to bring unity to a polarized church, let alone a polarized culture. We have a call as men to bring unity. Back to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. I love that word, ambassadors. We are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. It's not about your view on masks or race, racial tension or uh, political views. It's not about that. It's reconciled to God. If you're right with God, we're cool. Let's get people reconciled to God. Let's focus. Let's, I keep thinking of the word tenacity. Let's have tenacity for this. Verse 21, he made him known, uh, he made him who knew no sin uh, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're called to be ambassadors of heaven. This means that we may be physically in this place called earth but we're citizens of a different place. Philippians 3.20 says that we're citizens of heaven. We are in a foreign territory. This is why sometimes we have so much, uh, uh, sometimes we feel torn inside because we're in a place where there's so much hurt and so much division and so much anxiety and so much pain and so much sickness physically, but our spirit is in heaven where there's no pain, 
no tears, no division. And inside we can feel this pull of, Lord, what's going on? Because it's not, it's not supposed to be like this. And that's where, that's, where, that's where the realization that we're called to be ambassadors in this place. Do you guys realize that an ambassador in a foreign country, the land that they occupy is actually part of America? That means where you're standing, where are you standing? Yeah, maybe physically on earth, but where you're standing, you're bringing the kingdom with you. I, I always say this to, to people, man, I want to live my life in a way where I drop pieces of the kingdom behind me. I want to I look back and see like footprints that's like the kingdom there and the kingdom there and the kingdom there and the kingdom there. We need to live as ambassadors. We bring the good news. We don't bring the okay news. We don't bring the, oh, it might be fine for right now news. We bring the good news. Like I bring good news wherever I go, I leave good news. We need to bring unity to a polarized culture through the realization that we bring something that everybody desperately needs. We are citizens of heaven. Verse 18 talks about a ministry of reconciliation. We need to create unity. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Not just with some men, no, with all men, with all people. We need, to, we need to work at whatever we need to do to be at peace with them. That doesn't mean we justify our morals. That doesn't mean we bend scripture and, and, and don't do things in any godly way. No, we live righteously. We live under submission to Jesus as Lord, but through that, we do everything we can to bring unity. 1 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, all of that, be reconciled to God. There's like, like, when you think of that term beg, it's like getting on their knees. It's this, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that, that you are reconciled to God. Philippians 4, 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Psalms 133, read it. It goes through talking about how God is uh, how, how unity is precious to, to God and how, how, how unity is attractive to God. So it all comes down to this. First, first we realize that it's less about us. And second, we do everything we can to bring unity to this polarized culture. So what's our part in this? Do you know how easy it is? I'm going I'm to be real with you guys. For me, it's easy to just say, whatever. <laughs> I don't even want to be a part of it. Just, just kind of go away, problems. But do you know that problems can't go away if men don't step into those problems and start trying to figure them out? We have a part in this. We have a part uh, my wife and I, we're, uh, we got four young kids, seven, six, seven-year-old daughter, Josephine, then six-year-old son, Jaden, and then two more sons. We have a three-year-old, Jude, and a one-year-old, Josiah, and we're trying to figure this thing out called raising men, <laughs> you know? So I have no idea what I'm doing in this, but, it, man, if I could do two things, if I could teach my sons to be selfless, and if I could teach my sons to be ambassadors of Christ, bringing unity to a polarized culture, I feel like that's a win. If they can realize who they are in Christ and take that to other places, 
Man, that's a win. So this is what I'm going to do. we got about five minutes. I want to go into a moment of just quietly sitting before the Father and saying, Lord, what does this mean to me? Or for you, it's what does this mean to you for this day, for this week? What does it mean to, to live selfless as ambassadors of Christ to the people that we're going to encounter today? So if you would, let's just bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this real quick. God speaks through several ways to people, and I'm not going to hit them all, but one of the ways God speaks to people is he'll show us a picture in our heart. You'll close your eyes, and, and it'll be a vivid picture in front of you, and you'll see something going on. The second way God, another way God can speak is audibly through a voice, either in your head or out loud. So listen for a voice. Watch for a picture. You might have a, an impression on your heart, a word or something might land on your heart where it's just this overwhelming feeling of peace or something like that. Let's spend a minute and say, Jesus, what does this mean for me today? If you can keep your kind of eyes closed for a minute, I want to share, and then I'm going to read back through these scriptures, and I want you just to kind of focus on them. Uh, when I when I sat down, so God speaks to me a lot of times through like a word or like an impression, and when I sat down, what I felt was, uh, Tim, today you need to have extra grace for the conversations you're going to have. Like extra grace. So so in that situation, what I'm going to do as a man is I'm going to say, Jesus, give me more grace for the conversations that I'm going to have today. Let me be a, an honest reflection of your tenderness towards people, but also your confidence towards people. In Jesus' name. So take a minute and uh, I'm going to say this. Take a minute and real quick pray over that. If you got a word, pray over that and just ask Jesus in, you know, seven, eight words to give you whatever you need today for that that he's shown you. Amen. And if the Lord hasn't shown you something, I can I, I could say that he can continue to speak even after I say amen and I, cl I close this. So if you haven't gotten something, continue to keep this posture of your heart of seeking after the Lord and asking him. I'm going to real quick read these um, and... and 
allow us just to kind of sit in it. So starting in verse 14 again, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, the old things have passed away, the new have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. And we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And everybody said, amen. Father, I pray for these men. I pray, Lord, that as we go, we would stand up and be strong in who you are. Father, that we would recognize uh, that it's about living a selfless life just as Jesus did. And Father, Lord, help us to bring unity through being ambassadors for you and for heaven in a world that's lost and broken. I do want to take a moment and I want to offer up if there's anyone in here that has not asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord, their Lord and Savior. I'm going to count to three and if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. So if you haven't asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and today, you'd say, I want to do that. When I count to three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise up your hands right now if that's you. Father, I pray for these men. Lord, I pray that their hearts would be tender towards you that they would walk in boldness, confidence, and strength as who you've called them to be. We just thank you for this and we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Pastor Tom, you got anything for us? Rick? Ricky. Can we get another hand clap for Pastor Tim? Uh, all jokes aside, I actually get to, to work with Pastor Tim with our First Impressions team here at Res Life, and it's truly an honor to see uh, a man who's so on fire for Christ, who's so um, just willing to equip others to walk in who God called them to be. And so, Pastor Tim, thank you so much for delivering such a timely word. Um, if you guys can stand up real quick here, I want to bless you guys before you guys leave. Um, I believe that I, this is the day the Lord's made. And we can choose to rejoice and be glad in it. And so, Lord, we say, have your way in us and through us. God, use us to further your kingdom today. We, um, we, we say, Lord, have your way. God, we give you, because you're such a gentleman, God, you want us to ask. And so we say, Lord, have your way in us today. The picture that God gave me as Pastor Tim was praying over us was uh, being suited up in this stone-like armor. And we're being sent out into the world because in the world there's so many opportunities for us to be offended, but we choose to set in stone who Christ has called us to be. So I pray that you guys are all equipped with that same authority today. God, we send them out, Lord. We thank you for them. As men of Christ, God, we're equipped to change the world, and we stand on that this morning. So have your way in us and through us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed, gentlemen.